Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 181 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining us for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, it's my great pleasure to welcome back two of my favorite gin writers and educators, David T. Smith and Kelly Rivers. Just a few weeks ago, Kelly was awarded Gin Magazine's Brand Ambassador of the Year Award for her work with Sipsmith's Gin, and David was inducted into the Gin Magazine Hall of Fame, so it's a big deal to have them both join us to talk about their co-written book that chronicles one of the most iconic gin cocktails of all time, the Negroni. Cool, you must be thinking. One-page book, equal parts gin, Campari, and sweet vermouth, third, orange twist, boom, I'm out of here. Well... It's not quite that simple. Not only is there variation within the Negroni cocktail family, it has also spawned imaginative spin-off cocktails that use different spirits, vermouths, and aperitivi that either stay true to the equal parts tradition or strike out on their own path to mixological balance. But before we get too far into the weeds here, I thought this might be an appropriate time to share one of my favorite Negroni variations. This episode's featured cocktail is the White Negroni. This recipe actually kicks off an entire section of non-red Negronis in David and Kelly's book, and it's a favorite cocktail of mine, especially on a hot summer day. To make it, you'll need one ounce or 30 mLs of gin. David and Kelly recommend Heyman's Gently Rested Gin. One ounce or 30 mLs of Suze, which is a bittersweet gentian liqueur, and one ounce or 30 mLs of Lille Blanc which is a slightly sweet aromatized wine featuring citrus and quinine notes. Combine your ingredients in a mixing glass with ice, stir until all are properly mixed and well chilled, then strain into a rocks glass over a single large rock, garnish with an orange twist, and enjoy. You'll notice that I mentioned the metric measurements for this formulation, and this was to remind us that we here in the US ain't the only ones drinking Negronis. It was a cocktail developed in Europe, and David and Kelly were kind enough to factor both standard and metric units into their recipes. Now, the first thing you'll notice about the white Negroni is its stunning yellow color, which is as arresting to the eye as the bright red of a classic Negroni. The bitterness profile is similar, but a little different as well, with the gentian from the Sous and the quinine from the Lillet doing an interesting little dance on your palate. I find the most fun time to break out a batch of white Negronis is when you're visiting with friends who might be somewhat familiar with classic cocktails but who have never tried Sous before. It's always fun to watch them experience this flavor in action for the first time. So now that you've got yourself a contemporary spin on one of the most revered classic cocktails, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this bitter and botanical deep dive with Kelly Rivers and David T. Smith, some of the topics we discuss include the various origin stories of the Negroni, both the conventional story about Count Camillo Negroni and also some stunningly international accounts that all cast doubt on when and where this cocktail was truly invented and by whom. What it's like to assemble a cocktail book during a pandemic and why Negroni turned out to be 
a timely tool for home bartenders affected by lockdowns and a lack of bars. The three primary buckets that all Negronis can fall into. Perfect ratio through formulation, perfect ratio through balance, and perfect ratio out the window. Some of the more exotic or avant-garde Negroni recipes in the book, including tiki Negronis, creamy Negronis, and even a Negroni served piping hot. We learn the story about Kelly's tattoo, the importance of having a bottled Negroni in the fridge at all times, the virtues of gin and cola, and much, much more. We'll have links on the show notes page for you to purchase your copy of Negroni, as well as David's other excellent spirits and cocktail books, and of course, a list of our other episodes with Kelly and David in case this one piques your appetite for more. With that, please enjoy this really fun conversation with gin guru David T. Smith and equal parts evangelist Kelly Rivers. Kelly and David, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. I guess I should have said welcome back to the podcast because both of you have been on in the past. We've had episode 60 with uh, David with the Gin Dictionary, and then we actually had both of your voices when we did our RTD Revolution uh, around this time last year when we were actually able to do uh, ADI in person. So welcome back. And um, I'd love if you could each just begin by introducing yourselves for folks who might not have heard those episodes. Oh, why, thank you. I was going to say beauty before age, but I guess that wouldn't require me. Anyway, my name is Kelly Rivers, and I am the Sipsmith uh, brand ambassador. I am based in uh, New York. I have been uh, working with this brand for a lovely four years. Prior to that, I was running the gin um, program over at Whitechapel. I've been a gin educator for about 15 years, but I've worked in bars and restaurants for about 29 years. Um, and I am really excited. Uh, this is my first uh, byline sharing of a, of a publication, and it's one of my favorite subjects. I will talk ad nauseum about my love of the best drink in the world, which would be the Negroni. And I couldn't think of anyone better to share that byline with then Mr. Dave T. Smith. Well, thank you very much. So thank you for the uh, moving to the introduction. Also, must say, Kelly is uh, the just been awarded the Icons of Gin uh, Brand Ambassador of the Year. So congratulations for all the sterling work that she does with that. Um, I'm David T. Smith. I'm a writer, um, written a few different books like The Gin Dictionary and Gin Tonica and a number craft of gin and a number of other ones write for gin magazine and some other publications judge a lot of uh different competitions taste a lot of very interesting spirits gin but also anything that's unusual anything that's innovative i'm always intrigued by and i've consult uh with different distilleries for production and uh, product development Lovely. And you yourself were, were elected to the to the Gin Hall of Fame. So uh, lots of awards and recognition all around here. It's a it's a star studded episode. And, and we're here to to speak about this lovely little publication called Negroni. And uh, it's interesting that the Negroni is obviously it's it it looms large, I think, in the consciousness of most cocktail enthusiasts as 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 probably their first maybe grown up or adventurous cocktail that they've ever come to love because usually there's a there's a love hate relationship in the beginning uh but we've never actually spent an entire episode talking about the negroni 
without talking about anything else. So I'm excited to, to go to go narrow and deep here. And so I thought we might begin by just talking about uh, the impetus for this book. Why why does the world need this book? And when, when did you realize that, that putting this together um, was a project that, that you felt was important to embark upon? Well, I, I think I'll take that one. Um, the short answer is someone asked me to write it. <laughs> So we uh, wrote a book called Gin Tonica, which was by the same publisher, uh, Ryland Peters and Small. Uh, And it was a very similar format to this, which was some writing and a variation of different recipes and then some absolutely fantastic photography by Alex Luck and then also the team behind it that do all the putting all the shots together because it's not just the photographer it's the team the design team that you know make it all look pretty so I just did the writing a bit so it makes it so you can get through the book <laughs> um but I mean yeah but it is it's something that has become increasingly popular uh, there's been some really very good books on the, the Negroni that have been written and that's kind of the reason for saying yes to this project is this is not the same as those this is very much trying to look at the spectrum of the Negroni, try and get you to innovate a little bit, try something a bit different. And this is really a starting point to where you might go to uh, from there. Uh, I was asked to do it and I thought, well, Kelly and I have wanted to do some, we've been we've been waiting to find a project to work on together <laughs> for a while. And then this one came along. So um, yeah, so that's, that's what I did. I said to Kelly and she jumped at the chance, of course, uh, because it's a Negroni. Probably she's like, oh, this guy I got to work with, but other than that, um, <laughs> and that was it. And we went through the process. We talked about the chapters and stuff, and talked about different ideas, and went from there. Really, yeah, Kelly. What was what was your experience? Well, I think you know, I got the call, and you know, Smith was like, "Do you want to write a book on Negroni?" And so I'm like, "Yes." And I got all this history and all this stuff, and he's like, "No, no, no. There are amazing books like that. This is much more for." Um, someone who's just kind of getting into Negronis and making cocktails and making cocktails at home. And this was before what happened with COVID. So this was like even more timely now of people experimenting at home. The Negroni, I think, is gaining popularity because it is a, a, it's a proper cocktail. It's not just something and something. And I think people might have a really maybe a negative response to it. And so we really wanted to open up the idea that the Negroni can be you know, is a classic cocktail, but there are different variations of it that you might just fall in love with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't knock it that first time if you don't like it. If you love it the first time, here's just a whole bunch of more recipes and uh, things to like make you fall in love with it even more. Yeah, it certainly did strike me as a project that, you know, I, I got the sense that it was begun before COVID. But when I read through the book and kind of, you know, ex- experienced the way that it was set up and, and the photography and the um, just some of the little things that you worked into it, I was just like, this is really, really good for the time that it's being released. And I know that like COVID seems to be that very bifurcating force. Like either it puts a lot of accelerant into your project or it just kind of completely blows it out and, and makes it unfeasible. So I'm glad for both of your sake that, that this was actually sort of energized by and, 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 and made even more valuable by the fact that so many people are bartending at home now um, as opposed to going out to bars. Um, and, and so I, I guess now that we know the story behind the book, I, 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 I want to just get really, really basic here. 
and just start with a little bit of that history that maybe you didn't get to work in, Kelly, because I, I think that like some some of the some of the cocktails that that we like to um, drink and and imagine daydream about the the Negroni has a pretty fun origin story. So I'm I'm hoping that you can both walk us through a little bit of that so that we know where it comes from. I think I'll leave that to Kelly. Well, okay. <laughs> oh, really? Really leave that one to me, Smith? Um, no. So what's really interesting, and I think this goes back to like all classic cocktails, especially predating, you know the internet um there's a lot of like as my grandfather said don't let a little history get in the way of a good story there's stories that we tell over and over again especially if there's a part of the recipe that is is identifiable to a brand and then the brand tells their romantic story around it good or bad i mean it gets people to talk about the drink and try the drink and so you know there has been this night the the story of count negroni who was like a a cowboy and a banker and like a you know a washbuckler killed some like dinosaurs i don't know from 1919 uh where he goes into a bar in in italy and he asks for their favorite of uh, the drink of choice which was the melanda Tironi, which is vermouth and uh bitters at the time and asked for it with gin and the negroni was born you know named after him you know that's the story the romantic story that we tell over and over again. And, you know, there are some like some facts that go about it. There's some letters that are written um, around that same time that like basically help uh, put in context this, the story. There's a date stamp on it. Um, we know that the first written um, recipe that is like in equal proportions uh, with gin, Italian vermouth or sweet vermouth and, you know, this bitter known as Campari was like in the 1950s, but then different variations show up of it. Like, you know, in different parts. So where it actually comes from is, is, is what those other books are about. They talk about the story. And then there's this new history that's coming around about actually the first recipes coming out of like Senegal, West Africa in 18, you know, 57, which is like this new thing that also has letters that date back to it. And basically what happened was this guy named Pascal Negroni, who was in the French army, he wrote to, re, writes his brother, who is living saying, hey, I can't believe that this drink, the Negroni I created for my wedding in 1857 is so popular in this officer's club, which is gin, uh, the sweet vermouth, and then this bitter, which we think is Campari, but then we know Campari wasn't invented until 1860. So was it a different in that flavor profile? But, you know, the other great thing that I love to say is he invented this, he got married in St. Louis, Senegal. So that's, really fun because really good friends of ours uh as a gin started the first american gin uh global or gin um event in st louis so there's a little tie in there but yeah so it's like and then you know if you take it from like 1857 then it, that's more of a recipe that looks a lot like uh the Camparietti, which was then published in 1934 in booth's world of drinks and how to mix them and then so there's that story that we talk about and then on top of that there's also the story that it actually was uh, first done in uh actually in chicago in 1895 and that's the drink called the dunderada which we did include a recipe of it in the book it does have an ingredient called calisaya which is like a, a form of chichona or another name of chinchona which is what the bittering agent of campari was at the time and it's not relatively readily available in all locations. So we have a approximation of how to make your own calisaya. 
so you can enjoy the drink. So as I said, lots of different uh, stories, lots of different history. But the best thing about debating the origin story of Negroni is doing it with Negronis. I think I, <laughs> I can highly recommend talking feverishly about Negronis while drinking Negronis. For sure, for sure. Well, um, I, I love I love a nice cut and dry story. Um, that's that seems very clean. It seems like there's not much to get excited about. Um, but yeah, I I, I mean. I, I think like some cocktails, like, of course, I've been spending a lot of time thinking and writing about the Bloody Mary recently. And then there's the the um, controversy between whether it was Ferdinand Pete Petchu or uh, this American vaudevillian George Jessel, who came up with this formulation. And sometimes it's I, I think it's useful to step back and just say, hey, like if some combination of flavors is good then I imagine it would be possible for two people to independently come up with this idea. And, and, and what I do like about the profusion of Negroni origin stories is that it allows us to take a bit of a more global perspective on it, whereas I think most people think of Negroni, Italy, done, open and closed. And, and, I, and I, I do like the ingredient options, as you mentioned, the calisaya that this kind of opens up. So, uh, so thank you for, for sharing some of those, uh, possibly conflicting stories. I think it makes it more interesting and not, not less. Um, so next up, I'd like to talk about what a Negroni is. And I think the, that the middle of a, an interview is a bit of a weird place to ask for a definition. Usually we do that at the outset. Uh, but, but I have a bit of a, an agenda, uh, for asking this question. And, uh, so I, I, first, first question is Kelly, what, what is your tattoo? And next, what, what is the definition of a Negroni? Well, which tattoo are we talking about, Eric? You know, I think, yeah, that, I think no. you know that of which I speak. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so I, it, it, I don't know if you know me or you don't know me or you just tuned in because you just stumbled upon this podcast. My favorite drink is the Negroni. It has been the Negroni since I was introduced to it. It is a, a cocktail that is better than the sums of its parts. It really tells you what a cocktail is. And the Negroni, the only recipe to be called a Negroni, regardless of what this book that we publish says, is an equal part cocktail of gin, a sweet vermouth, and a bitter. So... Um, and I'm talking about potable bitters and not non-potable bitters, which are the, like the Angostura's and the Peixos. That being said, um, my tattoo was something that the hospitality industry, a bunch of us in San Francisco, cause I moved from San Francisco to New York four years ago and we all got together and decided I wanted to celebrate my, my tenure in San Francisco and let everyone know that they were still in my heart. So them knowing that the Negroni is my favorite cocktail we, and my, my staunch belief that it should be equal parts. And I'm assuming there was Negronis when we decided this in our imbibed that we were going to get variations of the tattoo equal parts or die. So I'm sorry, mother. I do have a tattoo on my body that says equal parts or die. It's one of my favorite things uh, to say that I love the Negroni so much that I have tattooed the recipe on my body. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, David, uh, what is your take on, on the equal parts question? Uh, as Kelly's looking, looking at me. Um, uh, I actually think I like the simplicity of the equal parts. I know some people like to 
muck around a bit with four two one and this and that and equal parts just make it easy at home i will say this for many many years um because trying a negroni is part of my process of reviewing gins um the vermouth and the campari are already mixed so they're mixed in equal parts and then i just put two parts of that and one part whatever the gin is i'm reviewing and there we go that's what so i, I am also an advocate for the equal parts as well like make life mm -hmm. easy what's the what's the quote kelly uh, life is hard drinking shouldn't have to be there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh well i think it's smart that, that you've built in uh, a negroni into your um into your rigorous uh gin tasting uh repertoire there i, I think that's a, a nice way to treat yourself uh when you're when you're doing the hard work of tasting spirits um but yeah i mean i mean one of the things that stood out to me immediately i the, literally the first thing i looked for in this book was are these all equal parts formulations or are we uh, doing some of the aforementioned mucking around uh, with the formulation? And, and so I, I guess, uh, well, why, why did you include non-equal parts recipes in here? And, and maybe, I, I don't know if there's one or two of them that are particularly emblematic of the reason that you, that you chose to, to, to do it. I was trying to think which ones are not equal parts because most, like, a good, I'm sure there are, but a good chunk of them are equal parts. Well, so here's here's the way that I went about it. I only looked at the ones that had the the name Negroni in the title, right? Because there are some cocktails in here that are not stated as Negronis, and so I assume that those are variations on a Negroni. Um, so I'm looking here. There, I think they were more towards the middle. They were certainly more of the um, experimental ones. The Kokomo is one that does not have equal parts, but again, that's not a Negroni. Uh, and then the white rose. Yeah, so more in the experimental Negroni section that you do have. Um, the kitchen sink Negroni, of course. Of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I, I mean, that's, that's not, the question is not designed to, uh, to, to pick apart the book. I think, I think what it's designed to, to do is to get us into a, a discussion of what some of these variations might look like. And if there's, is there a way that you tend to think about making a variation on a Negroni because we do have a lot of bartenders who listen to this podcast and when the world stabilizes, everyone's going to go have to go back to work, going to have to sit down and do menu development and probably there's going to be a Negroni variation that has to go on that menu. So I'm hoping that you can talk about the way that you think about variations on this equal parts theme. So I guess also to say I'm in the UK, Kelly's in the US and this is a book that's designed for both countries and, and other countries as well. So one of the things that's very important is to make sure that you have a variety of different ingredients in there and ideally things that there's some variation of that can work in the local um, uh, in the local market. So the kind of the approach typically that we took is we took that Negroni, the, the central part, whether it's equal parts or some sl slight variation, and then we built upon that. So actually a lot of the drinks we talk also about batched Negroni, um, but a lot of them you can batch your Negroni beforehand and then use a portion of the batch Negroni to then make the rest of the drink. So that's also partly designed to make it easier for the um, for the home uh, bartender, as it were. So, for example, I think there's like a there's an after dinner one. So you have the batch Negroni and then you add the espresso to it, and then there's the garnish and maybe there's some bitters or something like that. 
and that's the approach that you take. So at the centre of everything really was the Negroni itself, and then we added something to it. So that's like the nucleus, and then there's this sort of decoration around it, whether that's fruit juice or whether it's coffee or whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think one of the things to think about is when you're thinking about that equal parts, you have it in spirit, you know, gin's the best, obviously. Um, so spirit, your vermouth, and your bittering agent, whatever that is. And you can then, in, in one, 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 and then you can split that up in any way you want. So you can do one part gin, half part Campari, half part Aperol to make one. And then that bittering agent can, or, you know, that, um, sorry, that vermouth agent can be a, a blanc vermouth. It could be, you know, a rosé vermouth, any way you can. And then if you think about that as a whole, then you want to add like a juice or a, a bubble or carbonation to it afterwards, then you think about, all right, I'm going to reduce the spirit process of, of, of ratios and then amp up the juice to balance it off. So it's basically that same one, one, one formula. And then you just kind of manipulate that. So the parts still become one, one, one. And that's Mm. the thought process with a lot of the recipes. And when you're experimenting, I mean, that's the fun thing about experimenting with alcohol is, is like at the end of it, you're, you're drinking something. It might not be the best thing, but it's still pretty dang good. You know, (laughs) Yeah, I might be able to illustrate it with uh, an example. So one of the ingredients in here is, um, something called the improved snow groaning. And so this is this, this idea of a combination of a snowball, which is an advocat and lemon and lime soda or lemonade, whichever one you want to describe it as, um, drink, often drunk at Christmas. And I saw somewhere where they were talking about this, like they wanted to do this hybrid and they called it the snow groaning. But the most glaring thing that was up with the recipe was there was no Campari in it. which I was quite surprised at. So my approach to that was, okay, well, let's add the Campari. Had to play around a little bit to get the ratios right so that it had that Advocar flavor and had the Campari flavor. And then we added the, you know, the lemon-lime soda. uh, And that was how we did it. So that's probably quite a neat worked example of how, in that case, the thought process worked to create that. But it needs to still have that, aspect of a Negroni to it that's really important for all of these drinks Mm -hmm. and anyone that's doing a variation at their bar yeah I I agree I agree there's there's something there's something about the identity that that when when you do take one of those ingredients out the spirit I think is the easiest one to take out but especially the Campari if you take out the Campari uh, unless you're substituting it with a with another bitter that might be a a lighter bitter like a like a Suze or a Sailor's Aperitif um, I, I, I think it's very hard to, to call it a Negroni, but, uh, I, I like, I like the improved snow Groni for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you, you, it's one of the places, one of many places I should say in the book where you say, instead of using 15 mLs, 15 mLs, 15, 15 mLs, you can use 45 mLs or a half ounce of the bottled and batched Negroni that, that you instruct them how to make like right off the bat in the book. So I, I like that that bottled batched Negroni is this weapon that you can deploy at multiple points throughout the book. Uh, I, I think that that makes it like very, like a very high utility factor and something that allows people to do more experimenting at home, which, which we'll come back to in a, in a little bit. But, but as you were both talking, 
it's it, something clicked in my head. It seems like with the Negroni, you can do one of three things. You can do the mathematically perfect Negroni, which is kind of what Kelly was explaining where it's like, well, it's got to be equal parts. So if you're going to do only a half part of Campari, well, then what is the other half part of that bitter aspect going to be? So half part of Campari, half part Aperol, and then your sweet vermouth and your gin. That is a mathematically perfect Negroni, although it's not the original Negroni that we all think of. It's a little bit lighter, a little bit more orangey from from that. Um, So it's a different flavor profile. Now, you can also do the second type of thing, which is the flavor perfect Negroni, where of course we have different vermouths and we have different uh, bitter aperitifs out there. And some of those aperitifs are more or less bitter than others. Some are more bitter than Campari, some are less bitter than Campari. So do you add in some other bitters to make it perfect from a flavor balance standpoint? Well, that's not traditional mathematically for a Negroni, but it is perfect in a certain way of thinking about it. And then there are just the Negroni's that have that identity of a Negroni, but are just not a Negroni at all. And that like the improved Snowgroni is a highball. A highball is not a Negroni. And yet we still have this footprint, this, or rather I think a fingerprint is a better way to describe it, of the Negroni in there. And so I think you can do any one of those three things and still call it a Negroni, but I think it's important to be clear about which of those things you're doing. And I I saw you do all three of them rather well in the book. Thank you very much. Just getting head nods. <laughs> uh, uh, so that was great. I'm glad that that I that kind of clicked for me because that was that that was a very open question for me um, coming into this. Uh, so, talking a little bit more about the sections, can you just walk folks through the different sections that you have so that they can imagine some of these uh, some of the the types that that you uh, categorize in the book and maybe can while they're waiting for their copy to arrive, go to the liquor store and start picking up some ingredients. Picking some bits up, yeah. Um, so just a quick another note on the batch Negroni. One of the other things I found, hence the reason why I keep those two ingredients batched together, is the Negroni is one of these drinks where when those ingredients are together, at least to me, and Kelly may well disagree, but um, they, I think they marry really nicely together. So like, if you wanted to pre-batch a martini, I don't think that works very well. But actually, in some ways, I think that pre-batching a Negroni, almost there's some like marriage mellow in time, which I really, really like. And and it makes life easier when you're pouring it for friends around your house. But also, um, it does something is added to it, I think, anyway. Rather, uh, I mean, as who opposed doesn't to the want fresh. A bottle of ne- yeah, who doesn't want a bottle of Negroni in your fridge at all times? I mean, they're like, it's like a little nip Where here, a little nip there. Yeah. <laughs> um, for just one quick clarification question for people who may be imagining this, is the bottled Negroni in the fridge diluted or non-diluted um, when when it's mixed? So, like, are, are you diluting this beforehand and then just adding it after you chill the rest of the formulation? Or do you just leave it undiluted and then mix everything together in the moment? Undiluted and then you mix it all together. So, it's the, the batch Negroni is equal parts with no mm-hmm. no adulteration mm-hmm. beautiful so beautiful what we do suggest is if you're going to just drink a batch negroni is still put it over ice to then dilute it yeah what, what i actually do is uh i make what are called boat negronis which are negronis that you make in a kitchen and drink on a boat 
which means you must needs transport said batched Negroni. And, and what I do is I actually, uh, depending on depending on the weather, I'll, I'll put anywhere of 15 to 20% dilution into it. So I just do that math and I just add the water and then it's pre-diluted, uh, pre-diluted and then, you know, it, it's not as diluted as you might get at a bar, uh, but uh, then it, it takes a little bit of the, the sweet and bitter bite off of it, depending on what your goals are. So that is certainly an option too when batching. But um, yeah, talk to me about categories. So we've got uh, four. I'll run through it, and then Kelly can talk a bit more about them in detail. So we've got classic Negronis, you know, your, your, your very sort of standard, what you know, the red, the red ones, and those those sort of um, nice bittersweet flavors. Then we've got white Negronis, which was quite a fun, slightly challenging um, topic to write. Uh, but the my editor loved white Negronis, so she's like, we want them in the book. So I was like, okay challenge accepted um one of the fun ones in that um and i've seen a few people doing it on instagram is the clarified negroni which is um i'm just really thrilled to see people trying it out and actually and being really successful with it um we then have the experimental negronis which are some of those are gin based but some of them move into rum mezcal and um, calvados those sorts of flavors also all very delicious and then finally because i'm a sucker for anything seasonal there's your seasonal negroni so your things like the christmasy improved snow groni a sunshine negroni uh, you know porch drinking negroni which is one of kelly's brilliant ones and even a hot negroni so yeah talk to me about the hot negroni i want to hear a little bit more of the story behind that um well i mean i think hot gin drinks have a uh, you know started to come back in popularity. I know that uh, Sipsmith about four, four or five years ago um, introduced like rooftop um, gin drinking in, in London, sold out, you know, all over social media. I don't think it's transferred so much to the US, but we're getting there. So, you know, it's, it's people see gin as a seasonal spirit, unfortunately, like only done like on boats or, uh, you know, on the gin and tonics on a resort. And, you know, we don't really see it as a year, it's not really seen as a year round drinking thing, which is very sad, which is why the seasonal ones are really, the seasonal Negronis in the book are really great. And so the idea that people are enjoying crisp and refreshing drinks when it's cold out and these drinks are hot, I think is, is a new way to open up uh, um, consumers to, to drinking gin all year round. And the hot drinks, one of the things that we can say is, Dilution is key because hot alcohol is, 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 yeah, you can count all your nose hairs with the hot alcohol. So when you're making a hot, the hot Negroni or hot beverages in, in general, just remember that 15 to 20% dilution, you're going to want to beef up a little bit more than that. Um, also, the best way to enjoy a hot Negroni or uh, is to heat the vessel that you're drinking in before you put the hot drink in because what will then end up happening is if you put it into a room temperature or a cold one, all the heat will get sucked into the vessel. And now you're drinking lukewarm Negroni. And there's a reason why lukewarm Negroni was not the name of this particular recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we yeah, so, and we have in here, like a berry tea is a way to like amp up the, the, the fruit flavors of the Campari and the sweet vermouth. But you know, any type of like, robust tea or any tea that you really enjoy, I think will work really well in this. So maybe it's a floral tea or an orange tea 
something that plays with the flavor profiles of the vermouth and the Campari. Or if you have a really interesting and unique gin that, you know, maybe that gin happens to be the color of pink and you really want to amp that up, you can play with those notes in what tea you choose. I think yeah. um, for this one, we had, I think it's 209 gin was our gin of choice because it had that bold sort of spicy flavor. But again, well worth underlining that just because a gin's been recommended for a particular recipe doesn't mean that's the only gin that it can work with. They are designed that you can use pretty much any gin with any recipe and it will still work well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I did find that useful, not in that I will have access to all of these gins in my market, but it does it does maybe prompt me to do a little bit more research, maybe maybe uh, head on over to a uh, uh, resource by our friend Aaron, uh, the gin is in, and maybe find that flavor profile and then see if there are gins that I do have access to in my market here in the U.S. that, that have a similar flavor profile. I think it's, it's a good way to branch out and explore that we, we have to make the best out of the fact that we have 50 different countries with 50 different sets of laws <laughs> here uh, when it comes to liquor availability and distribution. So um, that's how I would that's how I would take that lack of availability and turn it into a, uh, an actual learning experience. But yeah, so the clarified Negroni, I was just looking to see if I could find uh, I, I've I've only had one, but it was it was amazing. It was at actually Carrie Kiyuna's bar in San Francisco. I can't remember the name, but I had a clarified Negroni um, there right before the last ADI. And it was it was an amazing experience because I think. You know, the different ways that you can mess with your flavor expectations are to, um, you know, change the service method, right? So hot versus cold. And you can also, of course, change the appearance and, and to have something that's clarified, but that still has this just intense flavor that you might pair with the color red in normal circumstances, it, it does add something to the drinking experience. So I know that clarification is a bit more work than most people do for, for their evening cocktail. And it does require some batching and some preparation, but I, I, I think that that's a really uh, fun project to do. So, um, you know, kudos for, for walking us through some, some of the more fun um, mixological chemistry experiments as well. I think one of the things that we've noticed is that um, with people that have you know, started you know, uh, clarifying the Negronis is, their response is how easy it was. They thought it was not going to be a lot more difficult. The other thing about the the clarified Negroni is it also that that fat wa that wash of the milk to remove the color also gives it a really lovely texture that most people don't find. And and also bringing out a clarified Negroni and telling your friends and family in your pod that you did that. I mean that's a big wow factor. Like <laughs> not a lot of work for a lot of wow. Yeah. Yeah. The big tip is make sure you use the full fat milk because that's a really crucial part of getting the clarification. But it's literally, you know, making the Negroni, the milk, a bit of citrus, putting it in the fridge overnight and filtering it. It's dead easy. Mm -hmm. And for folks who want to do this, I would, I am a very, very big advocate for nut milk bags as an intermediate step between your course filter and your coffee filter. I think that nut milk bags, which you can get on Amazon for less than $10, uh, they're the perfect middle ground that make it so that when you pour it through your coffee filter, you don't have to sit there and stare at it for a half an hour while it just gently leaks through. I think it's, it's worth it. You can just turn the nut milk bag right inside out and, and rinse it out and 
just put it back in the, in the in the cabinet. It's it's a very very small expense for something that saves you uh, literally dozens of minutes of waiting and watching. So if if you're going to clarify, I'd recommend it. So uh, Kelly and David, I think we're at the point now where we want to give folks some recommendations that if they pick up this book and uh, they want to start taking their Negroni game from maybe that one Negroni recipe to a uh, kaleidoscopic spectrum of Negroni experience, uh, what are some of the things that they might pick up beyond a basic sweet vermouth, a basic gin, and a basic Campari to, to make that happen? Um, I mean, well, first of all, a really great one is pick up a bottle of sherry. Like, besides sherry being delicious and you can drink it on its own, it's also equally as delicious in a Negroni, um, whether it be a Fino or a Palo Cordato, um, or even if you, you like more of that richer, fuller body of a Pedro Jimenez, like sherries are a great addition to any cocktail, especially the Negroni, and you'll find uh, multiple uses for it if you're just like, well, I don't know what else to do with this bottle of sherry. There's so many co- classic cocktails that have it, um, and it pairs perfectly with gin. Sure. I think beyond that, if you wanted to move to the next level, I guess the next two things probably to buy would be some um, Suze, however you like to pronounce it, and then probably some white sweet vermouth or Bianco vermouth. I think, I mean, you could go for the dry, but I think for most of these recipes and for the the general, that sweetness that you get from a Negroni, I'd probably go for Bianco or white sweet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the sherry tip because... You know, well, sh- like like you said, sherry is not vermouth. Vermouth is aromatized with botanicals. But I think if you step back and and soften your gaze a little bit, you can almost look at the um, sometimes oxidative processes in certain styles of vermouth or cert- some some of the terroirs uh, in in the. Um, sherry rather category as acting similar to botanical uh, in botanical flavors, but in just arrived at using something, something a little bit different. Um, so yeah, I think expanding your fortified wine repertoire is a great thing to do. And as Kelly mentioned, yeah, if you, if you want other things to do with that bottle of sherry, there's the Adonis, there's the bamboo, and then there's other, lots of other sherry riffs, um, on classic cocktails out there. So those are fun, especially if you would like something maybe a little bit lower ABV after you have your big barnstorming Negroni, uh, so, so yeah, I think those are great tips. And the nice thing is, you know, like we mentioned, you've got the brand recommendations in the book, but you can feel free to go, uh, go further afield and, and experiment on your own. Um, Kelly and David will, will tell people where they can get this book. And of course we'll have links in the show notes page, but are, is there anything else that we have glossed over here that you would just, you would just, your heart would break to, to not have shared with our listeners? Um, I just want to say something about the Negroni is it is one of those cocktails that it is a great way as, as David does his tastings is once you have your recipe, once you get the book and find that Negroni that just speaks to you, then you can start experimenting with other gins into that, into the Negroni or into that drink and find out what, what is that gin that you must have in your house at all time? And what are the rotating gins that you can do? Because that's the great thing about gin is it, it does so many different things to to this to cocktails and no no two gins are alike and you know the negroni might be just an equal parts cocktail not just it is an equal parts cocktail 
but uh, there's so many other things you can do with it. And, and it doesn't have to be so cut and dry all the time, no matter what I say. <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, really only thing left to say is like, you know, people enjoy it and they continue to experiment. As I said, this is just a starting point. I think the thing that I was amazed with is how much I love the Kingston Negroni, even though it's not got any gin in it, it's got rum in it. I just absolutely love it. Kelly's shaking her head at me as I'm saying it. But um, yeah, I really love that. <laughs> yeah, I I am also a fan of a Kingston Negroni. And, uh, and yeah, I like I like the the impulse to continue experimenting with different spirits, um, different gins with with slightly diverse botanical profiles, because I think what that allows you to do is eventually settle on your house Negroni that, that you'll serve to guests at, at your own home. And I don't think you can get away with having, for example, a house martini or a house old-fashioned because people have such striking and passionate preferences about that. Like I'm a four to one martini person or I'm a uh, rich, simple, you know, quarter ounce, rich, simple syrup, old fashioned person, Angostura or nothing. Um, and you don't get that with the Negroni as much, I don't think. And so I think that's, that's a big opportunity as well. So, um, so yeah, I think this is a great, a great little snapshot of, of what's in the book. And like I said, we'll, we'll tell you where to get that in just a moment here, but uh, Kelly and David ready for a few lightning round questions. Right, is I don't know. I'm still mad at both of you about the freaking Kingston Negroni. Like, come well, on now. Then I, I probably shouldn't have meant, I probably shouldn't mention that I was on the uh, martini cohort last, last year at gin world. Yeah, no, I, I can't <laughs> talk to you anymore. I'm leaving. Kelly exits the room. <laughs> door slam Sammy let's get a door slam in here alright so first lightning round question David you already actually answered this um, in episode 60 you said that uh, if you could have a cocktail with anyone in the world past or present it would be Roger Moore so Roger Moore with a martini at mm -hmm. was it the American bar or was it Duke's it was a hotel bar in London I remember that and I stick uh -huh. by it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Enough said. Roger Moore is a Roger Moore is a gem. Uh, Kelly. So uh, the question is: cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present? Who would it be? Where would you go? I'm assuming you drink a Negroni, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Just kind of paint us a picture. Um, you know, it's going to actually have to be my great aunt Liz. Um, she was the person who taught me how to make drinks when I was seven, and for her and my uncle Buddy, who drank enough whiskey with uh, the right people in Kentucky that they made him an honorary colonel. She really influenced how I drink, when I drink. Uh, she, a lot of my quips, a lot of my things like drinking, a, a life is difficult, drinking shouldn't have to be, is like my great aunt Liz. Um, she's, you know, she it was a, uh, a force to reckon with. And she actually didn't like the Negroni. They weren't super popular. And the reason I know that wasn't her drink of choice was because she had a kimono for all of the different cocktails that she wanted to wear. So when she walked into a bar, Wherever she was, they knew exactly what to make her. And so by the time she got to her chair, that drink would be in front of her. And when she passed away, uh, I acquired all of these all of these drinking robes. And so there was there's quite a few for the gin. Um, I would probably be drinking with her a Tom Collins um, because she passed away before I was legal drinking age. So I totally wasn't drinking with her while making her cocktails. That was not something I was doing. Um, but she always loved the Tom Collins with three cherries. Oh, three cherries. There's something nice about that rule of three. Oh, yeah. Uh, next question. 
is there any product or trend in the spirits and cocktail world? You can go narrow and, and stay in the gin world or, or you can go a little bit broader, but is there any trend uh, or product that you feel is underrated or perhaps underrepresented? Well, um, <laughs> this will actually answer a little bit from that first question as well. Because if I, as I've already answered it once with Roger Moore, I stick by that. But if I could have a drink, I'd love to have a drink um, with Kelly because we haven't seen that for since the book's come out. We've not even had a Negroni together. Um, so I'd have a Negroni with Kelly wherever, but I'd have it with a, um, a Coke back. What is a Coke back? Elaborate on that for us. Kelly? <laughs> so there is talking about drinking trends. Uh, Smith and I are in a minority group that really quite enjoy, not even for kitsch factor, we quite enjoy gin and cola mixed together. And nothing, a distiller wants n- never to hear from someone who loves gin that, you know what this would be really good with? Is with Coca Cola. Like, no, no distiller wants. They like spit it out, they get super mad. Um, but honestly, there is a lot of history about gin and aromatics and bitters and all coca-cola is or colas are aromatic soda is what they started off with and so it really makes sense that why gin and colas work really really well together some not so much but that's with any any cocktail and so um it was kind of along because we have a uh, in the book we have a negroni float in 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 the in the book for your adult child in you and um and so it kind of started between the Negroni with the co- the float and then gin and cola that I just started uh, to, when I would go out and visit accounts and, and during COVID and, and being socially responsible, I would drink a Negroni and then I would ask for a cola back. And it turned out it was really, really good. It like made it very much more aromatic and somehow less sweet. And so now everyone like looks at me really crazy when I ask them, do you have Coca-Cola? Do you have a cola? Because I would really like a cola back. And they're like, what? But um, yeah, so what did we name it? We named it the, what was the name that we made was for it, it? The Rivers? It was something like that. Negro- yeah, Negroni, Rivers. River. Negroni Rivers. The Negroni, yeah. Negroni Rivers. Needless to uh, say, we, we named it while having a few. So we can't yeah. remember what we called uh, it. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, story or this idea that, you know, distillers don't want to hear that their gin is mixed with Coke. I was on a call with a distiller uh, from Puddingstone, which is a little English distillery. They do an old Tom gin. And I was like, you know, your old Tom gin would be really great with Coke. And they're like, I'm not very impressed with that. And I said, oh, by the way, your your gin, it's in it's in the Negroni book. And they're like, oh, wow, what's our cocktail? And I was like, well, we made this Negroni and then um, we put Coke with it. And then uh, we put squirt cream and sprinkles on the top. <laughs> Oh my goodness! No, but it's really good. Like I mean, Negroni again, Coke float, beautiful. Yeah, I think it is. A lot of the things is the trend is there's fun in drink. There's fun in cocktails. You know, it doesn't all have to be button up tie and like waistcoats. Sorry, Smith, but it doesn't have to be all of that. Um, it can be fun and it can be you know something that just makes you happy. Um, I think that's a really good trend. Is is especially what we're lacking right now is and not that human uh, interconnection and being able to see our, our friends and family in a, in a bar and having a toasting to them. So I think bringing fun back to how we, how we engage and how we uh, engage with people and drinking. I think there's going to be a lot of 
experimentation with that whole fun aspect when when we're finally able to open up again because people have just literally been stewing on like what it's what they're going to do so with this much with this much prep in the chamber i think i think we're when when we're finally on the other side of this we're we're in for some some real fun when bars open back up um but the the question i'd like to wrap up with here is uh, David, we'll go first with you. What, what is an unusual or controversial view or belief that you hold in the spirits and cocktail world, maybe aside <laughs> from the, the Coke and gin thing? It seems like you've answered all of the questions with Coke and gin. How, many, how much time are you going to go? Uh, yeah, uh, so in addition to that, um, I'm quite a fan of a martini on the rocks. I know it's a little bit, again, a little bit kitsch, but I actually think it's a really nice drink. Um, and I'm also not against having a shaken gin martini. So there you go. Mm, two two views that actually that I hold. Uh, I, I love a Negroni on the rocks. I think it does something, I think it does something cool to have the garnish actually resting on top of a large rock. I think you get a little bit more of the aromatics in the, in the nose and less of that like infused lemon peel in the drink, which is kind of interesting. And uh, I think it, it feel, it's a different feel. I, I think it's a less, it's a less anxious thing to have to drink because I don't need to worry about whether my rocks glass is tilted five degrees to the wrong way that it's going to slosh out on me so it dilutes a little bit it's more easy going it's more sippable it's lovely mm -hmm. kelly um well i've been known to um get very passionate about equal parts cocktails <laughs> especially the negroni i don't know i tattooed it on myself there are quite there's 12 classic gin cocktails that are an equal part if you want to play with those recipes those proportions that's fine the drink will probably be delicious it's just not X, Y, or Z anymore. It is something different. Call it something different um, is, mm. is something that is. But uh, I too am a martini drinker on, on the rocks. I'm a 50-50 drinker. But I think one of the things that we need to uh, to stop doing or I, I feel very passionately is very much, again, again to make sure that this is the only way to do it. This is the, except for equal parts cocktails, of course. Um, this is the only way to do it. Um, I think understanding that the times have changed, um, what the views were in like, just because Jerry Thomas said, this is the way it is, doesn't necessarily mean is this is how we do it. Again, working on a project that was, is mapping cocktail families and, you know, where a sour is or where's a daisy and things like that. And, you know, we keep, we keep, quoting these things from like the early 1900s, but ingredients have changed and, and citrus has changed and sugar has changed. And we're not really doing anyone any favors, not the consumers, not new bartenders by just saying this is how it's supposed to be done. Like, why can't we make new rules? Why can't we mm -hmm. start now and say sours are an egg white drink? That's it. Sours are egg white drink. We don't care what happened before. We're saving it now and we're going to go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think, and I think this is a good time to uh, to take a step back and and look at some of those categories and, and how things have been done. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, David and Kelly, this has been a lot of fun as it always is when we get together. Can you share with our listeners the best way to get their hands on Negroni, the book? Yes, I think it's uh, it comes out uh, next week. I think it's the seventh of March. I believe it's when it comes out. So it will be on various. I mean, at the moment. In the UK, all the bookshops are shut anyway, so you have to get it online. Um, but in the US, I'm sure you can you can Google it. It's the Negroni. It's David T. Smith. It's Kelly Rivers. A, a lot of online places will be selling it, and it's nice and small and compact, perfect for gifting, perfect for Mother's Day. 
<laughs> you're, talk, you're definitely talking about the UK Mother's UK Day, Mother's which Day, is which totally is in like two yeah. or three weeks' time. It, it's perfect for the yeah. American Mother's Day as well. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the great, yeah, one of the great things about it is it is it is a smaller book. It won't break your budget. It's it's good for beginners, intermediates, and your family members that are you you forced to buy buy the book because your name is on it. Um, so. But, you know, if you have a favorite uh, independent bookstore that you can go because it's open, you know, you can always request that they get them in for you. You know, that's the great thing about independent bookstores is, you know, they have a very good customer service is what I was saying, (laughs) not necessarily bossing around. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll second the, the, the compactness here I think is, is a real asset because if you live in a small, smallish apartment uh, or condo in a city, chances are you don't have too many, uh, what we would call here in the U S coffee table books lying around (laughs) where there's just these giant art pieces that, uh, your, your guests, when you're holding court may leaf through while they're waiting for you or something like that. Uh, but this, I would, I would call uh, a nice bar cart book. If you, you can just keep it on the bar cart, the photography is in fact, stunning, and uh, it's just as fun to to look through as it is to uh, to make some of the drinks in here. So, um, thank you for putting it together. It looks particularly good next to the uh, gin tonica book, which is in the same delightful format. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> well, we will have links, of course, to all of that. We'll make sure to link to Gin Tonica as well, and maybe maybe to our other interviews. Uh, I don't know. There, there's a, some sort of dictionary uh, that that is also a good resource for uh, learning about gin. So we'll link to to all this and more on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. David and Kelly, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Thank you. Uh, pleasure as always. Thanks, Eric. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly.
This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Negroni Insights courtesy of Kelly Rivers and David T. Smith, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.